The Lord be with you all, everyone. And I want to continue what I was saying last week, but I want to just simply make it more specific and maybe to encourage you that this is the way everything works in our life. And so from John chapter 14, and keep in mind the story that we looked at last week of the sower that cast his seed on the ground and then went to bed because it just grew and he knew not how. Well, as I say, we're going to look at that again, but I'm taking another text. And so um, in verse 12 of John chapter 14, John chapter 14, verse 12, truly, truly. Whenever Jesus says that, you should sit down, take a deep breath, and listen, because this is of supreme importance when he says that. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do shall he do also. That is, Jesus is saying that the works he did were not merely to parade his greatness. They were to reveal to us that this is what we were created for, that we should do the works of Jesus. Then he says, greater works than these shall he do. Um, that does not mean you'll do something greater than raising the dead. It means that it would take on a more universal, greater in the, sen in the sense, actually, uh, we're doing that this morning. Uh, this is something Jesus never did, is to talk to the world um, from one place. Uh, we, we entered into a universal expression of the gospel that at that time had not been. Uh, they had thought of Jesus as themselves and 12 men and crowds in the Galilee and so on. But he said, this is going to go where you cannot dream it's going to go for every human being on the planet. And then he said, in the light of that, and you've got to get this, he said, the works that I do, you shall do also. And he goes straight into, as if part of that is whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. How many times have we read those words? And I wonder, um, do we really know what they're saying? They take your breath away when you read them. And you almost have to question, did Jesus really mean what he was saying? It's so vast possibility. Yes, he not only meant what he was saying, he prefaced it by verily, verily. And also another thing, he had been talking specifically to the disciples. They named, he spoke to Philip, he spoke to Jude. Uh, but now he says, anyone who believes, he has taken off from the upper room and he's talking right here and says, anyone who believes. It's a, a promise that carries um, far into the distant future of those who were listening at that time. And so verily, verily, you've got to sit down and take this in. That's what he's saying. 
understand I mean this, and it is now active in your life, verily, verily, or truly, truly. This is the way it is. And it is right down through the ages of time, anyone who believes, that expands this to us in the most personal way. And I, I'm telling you right now that that text I've just written is how we plant the divine seed that I was talking about uh, specifically last week. And, and hold that in mind as we unfold this. Well, actually, that everything hinges there on um, in my name. Whatever you ask, in my name. And of course, while we're at it, there's that other text. And John, we were looking at the Gospel of John. Well, he wrote the Epistle of John back at the end of the New Testament. And, and he tells us there in verse 15 of his last chapter, 5, um, in verse 14, this is the confidence, it's a big word, absolute rock-solid assurance. This is the confidence which we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, and incidentally, many manuscripts that we have, it's according to his name. It says, if we ask anything according to his will or according to his name, he hears us. If we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we asked of him. And these are the, shall I say, boundaries. I'll deal with that almost immediately. But in my name and the one that religion has made their flagship, if you ask anything according to my will, um, and as I say, you can switch that out for name, but um, it, it seems very restrictive. At least that's in the minds of many people. I see, I had all these things I wanted to ask him, but then shocks, he said it had to be according to his will. So forget the whole thing. Um, in his name, I don't know what on earth that means. We uh, say it at the end of prayer. As you might have heard me say before, sometimes people use it as a sort of Roger over and out. It's in, in the minds of many people, it, it means for the congregation who's listening, okay, I've finished praying. And so I just say in the name of Jesus, amen, to let you know I've finished. No, people don't really have a clue what that means. Ask in my name. Ask according to my will. What does it mean? Well, name to the Hebrew mind because that's really the entire bible name means all that a person is the totality of a person it, it was not merely the handle by which you called people as we would in the west i mean my, my name is malcolm um i think my parents gave me that name because it you know smith is is about you know every Tom, Dick, and Harry, and so they gave me a Scottish name to go with the English Smith and um, sounded better. That was the end of it. But in the, in the East, in the Middle East, 
where the Bible comes from to say a name what was to actually put into word the entire person. It, it brought to bear upon who they were and their character, their person, but also all their accomplishments, what they had done. And so as they are doing and accomplishing, so that was added to the understanding of their name. And so the name takes in Jesus, not just as a handle to call him by, but it means all, all that he is. And let that sink in. The totality of his character and person Go through the Gospels and watch as he who is God with us is moved with compassion. When he sees those that have been beaten by religion, it says that, that he moved with compassion to teach them. When, it, when he looked at those who were sick, it says he was moved with compassion to heal them. This is who he is. This is his person. And then his accomplishments, we come to the, the cross and hear his voice echoing, not only throughout that uh, geography there, but it, it ripples down through the ages. It is finished. It's done. And therefore, when we say in the name of Jesus, and incidentally, in there would be better understood as inside. It's we are inside who he is. We are inside everything he has done. And from within him and all he is, we ask, we pray, it's finished. And it's upon the, hear this, please hear this. It is upon the fact that Jesus said it is finished. There is nothing more to do. There is no further place to get. It is done. It is complete. It is finished. And after that comes these calls to pray. We pray because it is finished. And if Jesus said the work was finished and done, and now you ask that that which is done may be seen in your life. That's prayer. Because what was finished on the cross and in the resurrection is standing now finished in your life. I, I, if you could get a hold of that, it might be worth the entire webinar. It is done. We have been raised in a religious culture that knows only delay. They talk in, in terms of what God will do. And the delay is when you do this and when you do that. And here the entire Christian life hangs on the fact it is finished. It's done. And now we live out of the finishedness. But hold it. What exactly was finished? And, and I have to say this because there are so many millions of people who don't believe it, so I'll say it, that finished did not mean that Jesus had finally achieved saving you from an angry father. I, I think I've said that enough to never say it again, 
but just this week I saw a statistic that was um, Paul, it was done by Baylor University up here in Waco, Texas, and that they are a Baptist, I think Baptist University, but the Paul was sent out to the whole of the, the United States as to, they wanted to find out how many persons in the U.S. believed in an angry, raging God. And it came that the, the Paul said, 150 million people in America said, yes, they believed in an angry God. That's religion's work in America. Oh, no. I say, no, that is absolute paganism. And I could take you to Africa to tribes that believe that of their God. He's an angry God. That's not good news. It's the worst news I've ever heard. Jesus did not come to save you from an angry God. Jesus is not someone who is separate from the Father who comes now to try and reconcile an angry Father to you. No, he came to us to change our minds about the Father and to tell us and show us that the Father is the fountain of all love that streams to us today. It's not an angry God. That is paganism. Jesus came to reveal the Father. He said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. And, and so when we come to the gospel, the first thought we have is not guilt. Not guilt. Many times um, when people find out that, that I, I, I'm a minister, immediately they, they begin to tell me they're doing their best and you know, and, and if sometimes they'll even go to start confessing their sins. I said, well, what's the matter with you? Said, what's the matter? It's not the gospel. Where'd you get that nonsense from? But as soon as you think of God, you think of guilt. No, Jesus came to deliver you forever from all sense of identifying yourself with guilt. And that's what guilt is, really. It's identifying myself with sin. That's who I am, sir. I'm a sinner, I'm a sinner. But that's why Jesus came, to say the Father loves you, and I love you, and I love you as the Father loves you, and now come to take your guilt, your shame, and to lift it from you, so it shall never be remembered again. He takes away the sin of the world, and with guilt always comes fear. And it's the fear specifically of punishment and torment. 1 John 4 says that. That's gone. Look, Jesus came to deliver us forever and in all totality from all sense of guilt, from all fear of punishment, and from any punishment that we might have in our heads that we deserve. He came to take away the greatest lie that has ever been perpetuated in creation, and that is that God separated himself from us. And couldn't look at us because of sin. Jesus came and said, are you daft? Here is God who has come to actually join you in your life. And forever dispelled the lie of separation. God is for us. God is with us. 
He loves us and he refuses to be God without us. And, and, and so when we say finished work, we do not mean that he came to save us from an angry father. We mean that he who is goodness, who is love, who is kindness, and that one is Father and Son and Holy Spirit. And Jesus comes to save us from the great deception, the great lie that has found its perfect nest in religion. To save us from the darkness, the lie that we're separated, and to save us into what always has been the embrace, the love embrace of the Father, to bring us into a new world where we only understand ourselves as being united to God in and through Jesus, and to know unearthly joy, unearthly peace, because we live in a, a, a new creation where we have no sense of separation. Or as the scripture says, we've moved from death to life. That's it. That's why, gee, that was finished. Did you hear what I just said? Finished. That means we no longer have to talk about those things. You don't get up in the morning saying, well, I'm an awful sinner. No, I get up in the morning rejoicing the fact that sin has been dismissed. Guilt has no more questions, no more discussion. There is no more separation at this day. I live in the throbbing reality. The name of Jesus, which is I live in union, the Father and Son and Holy Spirit every second. Um, and, and, and it means that he has saved us. And here we go again, another word, saved. I have asked when, when they come, I'm sure you, you've had it. Dear little evangelicals, and I mean God bless them. I do mean that. But they, they come out, are you saved? And I always ask them, what would you mean? Um, saved from what? And inevitably, maybe you've had a better experience, but inevitably they've said to me, well, saved from hell, saved from damnation. And then they always add, do you know where you'll go if you died tonight? Favorite of mine is where you walked out of here and hit by a truck. Do you know where you go? Come on, is that good news? No, you see, salvation. Can I give you a little lesson there on Greek? The word salvation in the language of the Bible is sozo. And sozo means to be delivered. It does mean that. But, but it is a, a deliverance that, as I've just said, is away from sin. It's a deliverance to the Father in a sense that he heals, because sozo means healing. It doesn't only mean deliverance. It, it means healing, the healing of your person. And so salvation means that I've left behind me an entire world of darkness and lies and deceit. I have come into a new world in which I am experiencing the healing love of God. 
continually growing in that healing, being mended, ended at my core, my heart, where I live in union with him, but also mended in my mind, constantly knowing the, the, the Holy Spirit, bringing my mind into alignment with the very mind of God, to no longer think the lies, you see. And, and to bring me healing of mind, depression, despair, and darkness. And instead, giving to us the joy and the peace of God. And healing in our bodies. Sozo means physical healing, as well as all that I've just said. In the Gospels, when Jesus physically healed people, and, and it says there that he healed them. Well, that word in the Greek language is sozo. He has saved them in a physical way. Then we're brought into this world where he has joined us in our life. Totally so. He's joined us in our life. That includes everything that happens in my house. It includes all the relationships that I have. It includes my neighbors. And my relationship with neighbors, it includes my job. And if I have one, it includes the money that's coming into the house every week. It includes the provisions, what we eat, with the shelter. It includes everything. Sozo. It's salvation to my entire life. And he has said, it is finished. You could say, we did it. We have brought them out of the darkness, you see. Well, what's the matter with our family? What's the matter with our relationships? What's the matter with our work and life? It's because it's all done in the darkness of the lie and the sense of separation and guilt, and that upsets all our relationships. Here, Jesus has brought us out into a world of light, a world of love that affects Every relationship, and it even affects the food that's in your refrigerator and the clothes hanging in your closet. It includes everything, the totality of your life. It includes sickness and disease with a view to healing and mending everything. And you can't, when he said finish, you can't add, there's nothing to do in order to have that. Nothing to do, you see. You can't say, well, you know, it, it will happen if ever you get your act together. No, religion said that. The Bible doesn't. Doesn't say that when God feels like it, he'll do it. No, it is done and stands today done as surely as when Jesus said it was finished. So, you see, when people say, well, well if it be your will, what on earth are you talking about? You who claim to be religious leaders and you say, if it be your will, what do you mean by that? When his will has been so explicitly and so widely revealed, the will of God, Father and Son and Holy Spirit revealed forever in Jesus and revealed in his work on the cross and resurrection. He said, it's done. What are you asking if it be your will? It, uh, here we've got the reading of our inheritance in front of us, and we're saying, well, did you really mean it? Or oh, I tell you, I tell you, 
again, what um, often is that, yes, we know that's what Jesus said, but we're not sure about the Father. That's it. The separation of the Trinity again, which of course means you're a pagan, you don't get it. But Christian, that the very doctrine upon which everything is founded is the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the unseparated, unbegun God. And here they come along and say, well, there's separation. You see, Father thinks this, Son thinks that. Jesus came to do this to you. No. He that has seen me, said Jesus, has seen the Father. Take a long look at Jesus. Listen to what he says, and you've heard the will of God. You've seen the will of God. And it is nothing but his compassion for us and the announcement that it's finished, it's done. The intention of God is plain right now, here and now. And so when it says, ask inside my name, Ask according to my will. That's not restrictive. That's not putting up barriers and saying you've got this little tiny thing here that you can ask for, which probably is something to do with the church. No. The name that we pray inside of, the will that we express when we pray, expands our horizons expands them almost to the invisible, expands them to new possibles that religion had told me were not. It encompasses all things whatsoever. And it's whatsoever because it's in his name and because it's according to his will. So that's where this all begins. And as I said last week, this is the seed that we're sowing. Now, do you get that? This is the seed. This is the possible that you are sowing into your life, that I sow into your lives, that you sow into the life of your loved ones and the persons that make up your world. This, just for me to say it now, I feel an excitement rising inside. What an adventure, what an adventure to sow this into your life and then stand back and see the harvest, to sow this into my own life and and still be amazed at the harvest. All things are possible. Can, 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 Can you see this? This is not asking to get something that I don't have. Do you get that? Please, this is one of those foundational things. We could have a whole jolly webinar just on this. Do you get it? Prayer is not asking to get what I don't have. Nor is prayer asking God to do something, please, that he hasn't already done. Okay. You see what I mean when I said we could hang a whole webinar on that? But that's prayer. You see, why why is it that prayer is not asking to get something? Because Jesus said it finished. It is already given. 
everything that belongs to the finished is already given. So prayer is more in the realm of taking what is mine, not trying to get what I don't have. And the illustration I have used, so forgive me if you've heard it before, but as I walk along the street and I'm on my way to the bank where I am going to withdraw from my account, and on the way I pass a poor fellow sitting on the side of the sidewalk and he's got his sign, you know, I'm starving and give, and he begs. Uh, both of us are in the process of asking. I am going to ask with boldness, with confidence, the smile, and we'll actually probably be talking about something else to the teller while we do it, because it is so sure that I'm asking for what is already mine. It is already in my account. And so I am asking for that which is mine, has already got my name on it. I do not go to the bank teller and say that I, I, I will work for a withdrawal. No, I, I, I don't say have mercy on me, please. I, I beg you, judge. I, I, all I need is $100. I go there, and as I say, we'll probably greet each other, talk about something else while the transaction goes on, because it's absolutely certain this is already mine, and I am making a draw on what is mine. That's asking. The chap out there on the street has no expectancy whatsoever. He is hanging on the goodwill of somebody passing by. And, and, and so he's got the wine to his voice. He's got the hangdog look to his person because I have nothing and I'm just asking for charity. Now, the asking that I'm talking about is going to the bank for what is yours, not begging God for something that you see as not yours, that you don't have, Please, 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 please give it to us. If you could find it in your great heart of love, in your great mercy, please, perhaps, maybe you could do it. No, we come boldly. We can, we can laugh with the Holy Spirit, we can joy with the Father and Son as we ask because we are co-heirs with Jesus Christ and we are taking what is ours nor are we asking god to do something for us oh god please you know this poor boy you're going to do something you're going to do something <clears throat> jesus said it is finished so i am declaring that it is done not asking something be done i am declaring that because it is done i am taking what is mine see we, we receive, we receive. Now, that's a very interesting word. We receive the finished work of Christ. This is the seed that we are putting into the soil of our own lives and others. And, and the word that crops up all through it is receive. Well, there's actually more than one word for that. And unfortunately, 
we have this word receive, it translates to Greek words, which really, see there, it's iffy. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that. Um, you can be very passive in receiving. Uh, it, it, maybe Christmas time, I don't know how you do Christmas, but a, a gift is put in your lap. And you say, okay, unwrap it. You know, it's, it's Christmas time and you get a gift and you, you passively sit there and receive it. Or I can tell you very much the same as what I said, the money in the bank. That is yours. And so you go, you are active in this. You go to receive, which, which the Greek word means to take what is yours. It's, it's an active word that reaches out to grasp and take to yourself that which belongs to you. And it's unfortunate sometimes to say receive because we sit there waiting to receive. Whereas the word means go get that which he has said is finished and done and is yours. Which takes on the other word that is all through the New Testament Boldly, let us come boldly to the throne of grace. It, it's, again, that word. Um, I, I don't hesitate at the door. I don't say, would you please have mercy? I'm an unworthy. No, you're not. Uh, shut up. Uh, and go boldly to the Father. For you go inside of the name of Jesus, and you boldly speak and receive what is yours. Now, this is where it gets... Interesting, because the very fact Jesus said this, in fact, the very fact that Jesus came and he was the person he was would say this too. Um, it's, it's, it's hard to even say it. Whatever you ask, you, you, you ask, because the other one, what is it, Mark 11, whatever these, um, what you desire, what you desire, what you want in my name, that will I do. Do you realize what they're saying? I think the word I'm looking for, Jesus is saying it's an open universe. That is, we, we are not on this thing called the will of God. Okay, I know I've just upset a lot of people. But the will of God is not a railroad upon which your little train runs. And if you, if you get off the rails, then the whole thing topples over and it's a disaster. And so people say, oh, I've got to be in the will of God. I've got to be in the will of God. What's the will of God? What's the will of God? Um, some people think, you know, every. Every step where they go, right or left, is, is what's the will of God? What's the will of God? And of course, when it comes to prayer, I won't go into that again. Nothing but total waste of time praying and then canceling the whole prayer by saying, do what you according to your will. No. no, Jesus said it's an open universe. He is saying you can ask for what you want within the scope of the finished work of Jesus, within the scope of the glorious person of Jesus. What, what do you want? 
with, with all this as the scope, this is what is yours. Now, how do you want to apply this to life? How do you want to bring this to manifestation in your little life? Well, like, like he said to Bartimaeus, what do you want? <laughs> I mean, that's, do, do, do we ever read the Bible? <laughs> what, what in Jesus, who is God among us, God with us, says to us, what do you want? What do you want? And as a pastor over the decades, I've, I've come to this many, many times. A person will come and they will begin to give you their life story. Oh, my Lord. And, and I mean, if, if any of us want to dredge up our life stories, um, it can be pretty ugly. And, and, and they go and they tell you, this happened and that happened and this happened and that happened. And she said this and he said that. And, that. and, then I, and that's why I'm the mess I am today. And, and I have learned just to, to say, dear Lord, you know, and I look up to them and I say, what do you want? What do you want? Because I, Jesus did, he didn't say to Bartimaeus, now tell me your story. You must have had a terrible childhood. It, it, it's, I mean, sitting there as a beggar, it must have been terrible. You must be in a mental state of depression. No, Jesus never, never, never went back and started digging up the past to see why you are you are. Just said, what do you want? What do you want? And, and it brought Bartimaeus right down to reality. And he looked at him and he said, I want to see. Okay, that's it. Have you, have you been to prayer meetings? I mean, let, let's I, I just be very honest, very raw. I, I've been to prayer meetings where they rehearse before God right down to every ache and pain that somebody, I mean, we were, we were given the request to pray for this fellow. And the person who brought the request, they, they go on and on and on and on telling God how utterly impossible it is for this person to be made well. They, they make sure of that. They underscore every pain. They underscore all that the doctors have done and all that hasn't worked and, so shut up. What do you want? I want the man healed. Well, let's, let's ask. Not going all over the place. It's an open universe. You can ask for what you want. You don't have to twist God's arm. You don't have to become a pathetic beggar. You can step there as a son, a daughter of God and say, this is what I want in the light of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and his revealed will. We are in union, and out of union, we ask. How do you see yourself? We are the ones who are the light of the world. Jesus said that. He who is the light is in us, and we are the light. And we go into the darkness of this world and the darkness of people's lives, into their bondage, into their fear. We, you, I, we are the body of Christ. Well. Don't make that a religious word either. It means we are the presence of Jesus in their lives. 
and we are there to sow the divine seed of what is finished. Now we're going to reveal its finishedness in this person, in this situation. We are coming into this world. We're coming into other people's lives. And we are coming with the all things are possible of the finished work of Christ to sow that into other people's lives. And that's how we deal with ourselves too. So that's why I, if you've been around me much, you know, I don't like the word prayer. Don't, don't turn me off. I don't like the word prayer because it comes with all the baggage that religion has put to it. You, I don't, I don't know about you, but I mean, in prayer meetings, people assume a different persona. Have you noticed that? When people pray in public, they adopt a different voice. It's funny if it wasn't so pathetic. I mean, if they were sitting at the dinner table, they would never say, please pass the salt in that tone of voice. You know what I mean? They adopt this. Well, it's very Pharisaic. It's what the Pharisees did. They, they adopted this holy man. I, I'm, I'm this poor fellow. I, I, no. And, and that comes with prayer. Prayer always comes with a whine. It's always got the mentality of the beggar in where I come from. And so I don't like the word prayer. And very rarely, it's not that I won't use it. I've used it in the last few minutes. But um, normally, if, if I would say I'm praying for you, well, I don't say that. I, I will usually say I'm holding you in the love of God or something like that. Um, ask, you see. There's something unsure about the word ask. It's a hesitancy. I'm asking. Um, there's no assurance of an answer, yes, because I'm asking. And asking always has a question mark attached to it. This is a bad translation of, of the words here. It, it's, I mean, yes, it says that, but it, the, the word must be much stronger. This isn't a beggar. See, the beggar says, would you give me a dime? He's asking. and But there's a question mark on the end. I don't know whether... Hey, you go to the bank manager and you ask for a loan. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and you hang with uh, wonder, is it a yes or no, an if or maybe or next year or ask. Or you ask your friend, would you, would you help me move on Saturday? And they immediately begin to look through their schedule for some loophole. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's iffy. I'm talking about the English word now. And so prayer has come over, or the sowing of the divine seed. We don't do it because we, we look at prayer really much like a wishing well. You know, you throw in your pennies. And of course, if you come from Europe, you know that wishing wells were attached to pagan religion. It was the pagan way of praying, that you went to the wishing well and you threw your requests in there with the money to appease the God. And in conversation with people that are coming out of prayer meetings, their attitude to what they've prayed for is more like a wishing well. I, I you know, I, 
I mean, nobody really expects it. I mean, if we do, wow, it's going to be. But it's, we did our bit. It's like the lottery, you know? It's chance. Who knows? We fling our requests up to God and then hope for the best, like everybody else. That's how people look at it. Um, the Bible calls that vain repetition. It means yakking away, but saying nothing and expecting nothing. No, asking. And it says, whatsoever you ask, doesn't mean any of those things. Let me give you a definition. Asking in this biblical sense is my response to a yes that's already been given. Did you get that? When I ask, I am responding to a yes that has already been given. There's no question mark. It is this word I was talking about. My desire now receives. My asking is taking what is mine to take. And we express that in a focused word. What do you want? It's a focused word. Because you can have many thoughts. Many thoughts. Uh, and they float through your head like little white clouds on a summer's day. Um, but they're going nowhere. I mean, they just float through your head. That they are potential possibles. But then we bring it all together and say, I want that. And immediately we have brought the possible out into language. And it has done something inside of us and given us a laser focus. That's what I want in this situation. And so that's asking. It is my intention of responding to God's already given yes. And apparently, this is a vital part of this whole process that we're talking about. The, the asking, not, not just feeling, you know, having sympathetic thoughts for someone. What do you want for that person? What do you want for yourself? Apparently, that is very vital. Come back to Bartimaeus. Um, you know, he sat on the side of the road as the poor beggar. And when he heard it was Jesus coming down the street, he began to yell and scream, um, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. Uh, and that is, um, that's not a whine. The word mercy would be, I, I want your, your love, blessings upon me. As a, I've heard that prayer many times. And, and Jesus stopped and said, bring him to me. And that's when he said, what do you want? Um, it's not enough to have lots of little white clouds floating through our head of God is love and God is merciful. And, and that, you know, and all God bless mommy and God bless daddy and God bless the pastor. I, I hear the Holy Spirit's love voice gently saying, what do you want? What do you want? It, it, as if 
It's upon your focused desire that you've entered into this casting your seed onto the ground. Uh, there is a funny one, actually, that probably demands another webinar, but it, do, you, do you remember Pharaoh, the ten plagues, and it was the, the plague of the frogs. Do you remember that? And it, it says in great detail, it says the frogs were in the kitchen. They were even in the ovens. And they got into the bedrooms and they got between the sheets and there's frogs among frogs above frogs. And the trouble is, you see, the Egyptians worshipped frogs. And it's written in the Egyptian law that comes from that time that if you killed a frog, you were killing a god. And therefore, it was a criminal. I mean, we would say a federal offense. You would be slaughtered. It was a death penalty for killing a frog because it was a god. That'd be a terror to go to bed at night. Every time you turned over, you killed a few gods. Uh, and, and everyone had the death penalty. And, and, and anyway, the very idea of, of frogs in my bed and frogs in my slippers and frogs in the kitchen. And, and Moses, and I, I see the funny side of it. He comes to Pharaoh and he says, I am the Lord. Uh, says, you can do it this time. He says, you can say when the frogs will leave and according to your word, they will leave. And that's almost this, isn't it? Saying it's an open universe, it's up to you. There's no, there's no will of God that they leave at 4.38. No, it's up to you. And that was Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said, tomorrow morning, what? Pharaoh, you go to bed with the frogs again. You could have said tonight, and you'd have had a frog-free night. Uh, I just throw that in. Uh, I say again, the, the necessity of that word expressed brings the invisible into the visible. And it comes with great assurance. And this is where that, that story we told last week is of such importance that, that he said he cast it out upon the ground and he went to bed. Why did he go to bed? Because it's done. See, it's done. There, there are two duns there. The, the seed, it's done. There's nothing to be added to the seed to make it grow. So he takes that seed, the seed that was finished and done and ready, complete. All it had to have is some of it cast. So he takes the done finished seed and puts it into the earth, which I'm saying is when I speak this word and I take hold of that finished work in the presence of the Father. Um, but then it says he went to bed. And then it says he got up in the morning and went about his work, which means essentially he just let the seed be. He was absent from the seed probably wasn't necessarily thinking of the seed. It was about his business. And why, why would he do that? Because it's done. Because once I put it in the earth, I have the harvest. It's only time. But um, I, I don't have to worry over it. I don't have to dig it up. I don't, don't have to make sure it's growing. Nor do I have to cast the demons out of the soil. 
Nor do I have to go back and say, well, maybe I didn't do it right. Let's do it again. No, he did it. It's done. And it was done with done seeds. And therefore, he can go away and say, I've got the harvest. He can sit down at night and actually begin to make a budget for the fall because it's all worked out. Assurance. And that's where I think it, it either excite, excited or horrified a lot of you, where I asked the question, these verses, John said it there in First John 5, we have, uh, Mark eleven twenty four says that when we say um, that this application of the finished work, that you, you have it already, it's yours to rejoice in. And where in me does that happen? And I said, it's in your imagination. That's your, your spirit-filled imagination. And, and don't look at me like that. We're, if you're listening to me, let me tell you that the Holy Spirit, had, that he was the completion of the finished work of Jesus. He is in you. And understand that there's not doors within you that says no admittance. Your imagination is the playground of the Holy Spirit. What is the imagination? The imagination is not your intellectual thought process. See, if you're going to try to think that I have already received that which I ask for, you try and think that. In fact, I go... Off, off the page, how can you think and intellectually come to a positive conclusion that you were crucified with Christ and raised with Christ? Your thoughts can't handle that. No, he gave us imagination in order to go where thoughts will never go. And, and, and so imagination actually comes first. Imagination, the meaning of the word in the Hebrew language is the forming, forming place where you form, you fashion. It's used um, of sculptor where, where you have the clay and you squeeze it and you form it. Um, my favorite meaning of it in the Old Testament in the Hebrew language is framing. It says that your imagination is where you frame your physical material life and if there's any carpenters here or contractors you you know what framing is you, you frame a house and then you put the stuff on and make a house out of it but without the frame there is no house well the bible says imagination is the framing of your life that which you imagine today is you tomorrow your imagination is like what when you go to the movies and they give you the, um, what are they called, trailers or the um, uh, pre-seeing of, of uh, events to come. Well, your imagination is where I see who I am and it will be manifest tomorrow. And, and so, but when I put the living seed all the promises attached to the finished work of Jesus into the soil of my life, into the soil of your life, I can relax. Relax and know that, that your life is, is framed by the Spirit and, and he is now 
actually actualizing in your life, physicalizing in your life, all that is within the words you imagine. And it's only in your imagination that you can actually be and actually feel that which physically you're not yet. This is, you know, and boy, again, we need another hour for this one. That the root of that word, you know, in these other languages, they have a root where the words come from. Well, the root of this word that I'm talking about, by which your life through the Holy Spirit is built and changed into conformity with the finished work. The root of that word in the Hebrew language is anxiety. Do you realize every time that you are anxious, you are framing tomorrow's you? You are saying, this is who I am. I'm I'm the victim of life. I'm living in the apocalypse and the doomsday. And here we go. We we are, and then when you when you end up just like everybody else, all their fears and their sorrows and their pains and their lack and their poverty of mind. Say, well, why did God do this to me? No, you're a master builder, and you built a jolly good house. Look at it. You built it every every brick. Isaiah twenty six three. It says, um, he will keep you in perfect peace. The Hebrew there is shalom, shalom. Perfect, absolute peace. And in your Bibles, it says, mind is stayed on him. And the word mind there in the Hebrew is imagination. You will keep him in perfect peace, whose imagination is stayed. And that word, I love that word. It means to lean on. It means to give support or to uphold, to sustain. It's the word. Are you a gardener? Uh, have, you ever, have you ever had tomatoes? You might remember the tomatoes? You put a cage over them because otherwise the tomato plant's going to slide over. It's not strong enough to carry the tomatoes. So you put a cage and, and the tomato plant leans into the cage. And it can become strong, as strong as the cage. Or have you ever grown anything on a trellis? Um, you know, it's like cross. And, and your, your plant, the vine will go up the trellis, clinging to the terrace. And, and that's the word, you see, stayed. They are held. And, and in being held, they are in that moment as strong as that which holds them says, peace, 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 as you were stayed upon him. And, and then what Proverbs 4, 3, keep your heart. And that word speaks to the imagination too. Um, with all diligence, out of it are the issues of life. And that's a massive word. Um, the actual, uh, if I just translate it, actually it would mean out of it you give birth to life. The way you hold on in the imagination, you give birth to life. Or they actually called harvest this word out of the issues. It says that the issue has been harvest, brought forth. So he says in your imagination, something's going on. And then you give birth to 
that which you've imagined within you, then out of you the harvest is. So there's been many translations of this. Some say out of your heart are the wellsprings of life, or another one is from your heart flows the springs of life. The message translation is where life starts. This is it, the outgoings of life. So when I ask or desire or whatever word you want to use, I then see it done. That doesn't mean I'm denying what is. Please understand that. That, That's how people say, no, 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 no. You know, I'm not sick. I'm not sick. Well, I'm sorry. (laughs) Take your temperature. You are. Um, That's that's, that's just denial. That's stupid. But what I'm talking about is, okay, here's the situation. And you sow into that situation. What you see is the will of God according to his finished work. And, and, and this is your life as you see it, and you know this is what Jesus rose again to make me. And so I take that. It's mine already. I sow it into my life. But then you see it in your imagination. It's done. Of course it's done. I might throw this in. You can never pray for X while you're thinking Y. Say, so I'm praying for that man. You say, I'm praying for that man. Oh, man. Oh, that poor sick man. Look how sick he is. Oh, God, look how sick he is. I'm praying. Oh, please heal him. Please heal him. As if if Jesus didn't say finished. You mean something? God has got to do something else that's added to the it is finished by healing him? No, I look at that man and say that's that's a reality. It's a reality. It's a possible. It's a possible. It's possible this man remains sick and holy dies. It's possible, but I have seen another possible. And the other possible is in the finished work of Jesus. Jesus said he bore our sickness. He carried our sorrows and diseases. And he said it was finished. And that by his stripes, by his great bruise on the cross, our bodies were healed. He said he is sozo, which means healing for the body as well as soul. That's a new possible. So I'm not bothering with that possible that's now there, which I mean, I don't keep attacking it and saying, I curse you, devil, come out of the man. No, 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 Jesus dealt with that. For the, it finished. It finished. I come into God's possible and I see that man now getting out of bed. I see him laughing. I see him praising God. I see him dancing for joy. And I give thanks. It is done. It is finished. And I see him where God sees him. I declare him where God declares him. So we're not denying anything. We're saying there's another possible. And that other possible is grounded in the unchangeable Word of God, the finished work of Jesus. And that's real. And I'm not denying it. But this is a greater reality that cancels out the lesser reality. It's done. And notice I said, I see the man as he's now perfectly healed. I don't know how he got there, you see, because imagination never does. 
If I say we're going to Disney World next week, you will start imagining being in Disney World. You don't think how we get there. Imagination never does. So how does the man get healed? How do you begin to live this life of love that is described in scripture? God handles that. God handles that. The Bible says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. And all religion jumps up and says, how do I become a branch? God does that. All I is, I see you as a branch. I see you filled with the fullness of God and the joy of the Lord. He is the one. Remember, the sower put the seed into the ground and the ground brought forth and the poor farmer said, he was clueless. He didn't know how that happened. <clears throat> All he could do was see the end result. And that's what we do. Um, and, and then the harvest comes and the harvest is exactly what the finished work that we planted is. Of course it is. Of course it is. I, I, I've done over time. I'm very aware of that. But could I share with you a story? And I hesitate to do this because it's um, it's my story for starters. But then I, I don't like parading stories before you because everybody then wants it the same way. But this one, I think, could help. Um, and some of you, you've heard part of this story. And, I, and I'm not going to give the whole story because we're out of time. But um, it was when I was in Africa and we were on foot in the jungle, which is an absolute no-no there. But I was with a game warden. And as we came and we were almost back to the camp and in our, in our path, there were 400, and that was the guess of the guy, uh, 400 elephants, and um, they were all in a vast plain. It's called elephant grass, and they were. And I said, well, let's go around them. He said, that would take us all day. He said, we're going through them. Elephants in Africa are the most dangerous of animals. They're not Indian elephants, which are those sweet things you see on TV. African elephants always in a bad mood. And, and, and he said, we are going to slide through on our belly. Because he said, the elephant is really blind. They can't really see. They, they see with the end of their trunk, which is a combination of smell and energy, I guess, radar. But I don't know. But um, he said, so if we walk through, humans are the only ones who walk upright. And um, they will immediately know, and you're dead. They will crush you under their feet. Uh, if you crawl through, their trunks will come and measure you and decide you're a lion and crush you. So he said, we're going to go through on our bellies. That will confuse them, and we'll be past them before they have a chance to do anything. 400 of them, 400 elephants. And in a relatively small space which meant we're going right through the middle of this herd. And when he said that, my, my heart sank. It was every cell in my body said, oh, no. I mean, I am not the adventurous type. And, and so but there was no turning back. The camp is over there. We've got to go through the elephants. 
and he is a game warden. So he got down on his belly and he began to slither toward the elephants. I followed. Now, I'm, I'm trying, this is what I have not shared because it just doesn't fit in just telling the story. But I'm trying to share this with you. What, what do I do? Do I express my fear in prayer? Because you can pray fear. <clears throat> oh, God, help me. Oh, God, help me. You know, I rebuke the, the enemy and all. No, that actually would have sent off signals to the elephants that there's something coming that should be dealt with. Um, I did what I'm saying here. My prayer, knowing that he is my protection, knowing that he is the one that goes ahead of me and after me and over me. And as I go into that herd of elephants on my belly, moving between their great feet and their swinging trunks, which were already seeking to find out who I was, um, I saw, imaged, a picture of sitting at the campfire with a cup of coffee, telling the story of how we came through. And so my whole party, there were three of us actually, and my party was there with me. No one had been hurt. And we're all sitting around the campfire and we're laughing and we're telling the other wardens what had happened. I held that picture saying this, this is my desire. This and the finished work of Jesus includes our protection. And so I held it. I went through, and I cannot um, bore you with the details of great elephant feet coming right beside my head and, and, and hearing them talk to each other with the great noise that they make when they do it, and, and just slithering fast as I could. But at the same time, holding that. This is, I hold this before, that we are sitting down at the campfire. And we're through. And does that make any sense as to what I am saying here? That we face life in all its many ways. One more story and I'm done. And, and that was when we were in Russia. And it was before the wall came down. And it was December. And there's no darker, miserable place on earth than Russia in December for the atheists, communists, so there's no Christmas of any description. They're so far north, the sun rises very late in the day and goes down in the afternoon. It's mostly dark. Snow, dirty snow is on the streets. And, and also we had already recognized we were being tailed by the KGB. It was not good. But as I walked the streets, and this is before I fully understood what I'm talking about. It was in the early days. And as I walked the streets, I became aware of the people who stood for hours, four people across in a mile-long line in the desperate cold, <clears throat> in the hope that a door would open at the front of that line and allow them to have some rotten cabbage for dinner that night. 
and, and the desperation of the people, the emptiness of their lives, the darkness, the despair, the depression. And as I walked the streets, I felt it came into my imagination. And I felt hopeless. I actually experienced despair. I, I could taste, taste disappointment. And, and suddenly the, the KGB, which I'd hardly, I mean, so I'm being followed by the KGB. Now it became a terrifying thing. The KGB are watching us. And, and the, don't even talk to me what the KGB do if they arrest you. And so on. The time I got to my hotel room, I was an absolute disaster. Darkness filled me. What had happened? Fear. The fear that belonged to the people because they had accepted it. Had It's an energy, an actual tangible, tasteable energy had come upon me. And I began to have pictures of despair and pictures of KGB arrestings. And that was the biggest learning experience to me. I've never forgotten it because that's when I realized that I had imaged despair and had plunged right into it to a bottomless pit. And it was no good cursing it and casting the devil out because here I had accepted the fear that was palpable upon the streets of Moscow. And I learned my lesson. That was probably the last time anything like that happened because I had learned what it is to sow the seed of his power, his protection, his peace, right down to this very day. And if you want to have a lesson in the reality, the absolute presence of fear as almost a tangible spirit it is here. The whole world is under fear, if you want to accept it. And I walk out into those streets and I have an image. I, I have an image of myself that was planted long ago an image that around me there is this glorious light and love, life, protection, shield, that wherever I go, anything against me repelled away, repulsed away. Because Psalm 91 is where I live, and it says, no plague shall come nigh me. I have the shelter I have the absolute roof of God around me. That's, that's how I see myself. I've planted that seed and I see it. And, and the thought of fear does not enter my mind. And I don't say that as God's man of faith and power. I say it as one of you guys. We're brothers, we're sisters. This is the way this is. It's an open universe. We choose. It's done. I'm sorry, I have gone way, way, way over time. But I felt I had to share this. Because especially in this day in which we live, um, we better get to sowing the divine seed and producing the divine harvest and live like we are in this world, but we're not of it. We don't go the way of this world. So now the blessing of God, who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. His blessing of the opening of your eyes to see the vast wonder 
of the world in which you now live in Christ be revealed to you. So I bless you, and so it is, because we're inside the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.